The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what? Here we are again on The Bible Says What, another exciting and exhilarating, there's two E descriptors for you, Pastor Paul, uh, episode of The Bible Says What. We are journeying through the Lord's Prayer, and we are going to uh, hop on some conversation on another little sentence of this prayer. But before we do that, a little time for introduction. If you're new with us, you have no idea who I am, but I am Pastor John, hailing from Living Hope Church in Centerville, Ohio, and I am here with my esteemed colleague. Another E word. Uh, Paul Desay. I'm Pastor of Sandy Hook United Methodist Church in Columbus, Indiana. Hey, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking in ease today. You are. Forgive <laughs> us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or Trespassed. forgive yeah. us our debts or forgive us our sins. You know, it's translated all different ways. So yeah. forgiveness, man. Yeah, it'll be good. I, I need forgiveness in my own life. And um, before we jump into that, we'd love for you to keep on subscribing and uh, keep on downloading, keep on sharing. Um, we're, we're looking to next season. I, we didn't talk about this in our last episode, but uh, we're going to hopefully have some Bible says what swag to give away in our next season to kind of uh, encourage listeners and all you who have uh, pushed us almost to 2000 uh, downloads. We're getting closer and closer, um, but we would love for you to pass the word around. And we, we hope that it's helpful to you in your journey with Jesus. And as we encounter the scriptures and all the weird stuff that lies therein. Um, but yeah, we're journeying again. Here's the conversation point that Pastor Paul kind of talked about. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. This was funny when we, when we quoted this prayer together a couple episodes ago. You said trespasses. I said sin. Like, what the heck is it? When I think of trespass, I'm a hunter. I like to go out in the woods and be in the woods. And there's public land and there's private land. And when I think of trespass, I think of me being on the wrong side of that line and getting shot at because I've trespassed on someone else's property. That's what I think of when I hear the word trespass. That works, man. So I've encroached upon you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's Let's talk about that. Un- unfold some theological wisdom. Let's unpack a little bit, Pastor Paul. Um, what do you got just as far as you know insight into that little line of scripture? Do you remember when uh, Peter asked Jesus the questions, how many, how many times should I forgive my brother who has sinned against me? Yeah, as many he said as once seven or twice, times, right? Yeah. <laughs> Peter's like, seven times? I mean, seven's the God number, right? It's perfect. Seven times and we're done. Right? Like the Sunday school answer. You can see Peter kind of saying that. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. Kind of a little laughing. I'm so yeah. smart. <laughs> yeah, and so, is a hard thing though, isn't it? Yeah. And, and Jesus responded and said 70 times seven or 70 times seven, right? How many or, is that? Uh, uh, I don't know. 490, uh, something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. Jesus was referring to a guy from the Old Testament uh, when he said that. And it's a guy named Lamech. You ever heard of Lamech? Lamech, yes, I have heard of Lamech. He's uh, a dude from uh, Genesis uh, chapter 4. He's the one who said, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. Mm. And uh, the kind of the idea behind Jesus referring backwards, he loves to go back and give us something from the Old Testament, right? Is in in that world, violence was escalating out of control. 
if if you hurt me, I hurt you back worse than you hurt me. And then you and your brothers come and murder my family. And then there's the Hatfield and McCoys. I mean, it's just it's, it's the way the world works, right? It's for one good country, TV, but. yeah, one country bombs <laughs> another country, and then, right. and then you know it's all out. Well, I mean, and this is just the way life works. And Jesus is coming and communicating that forgiveness is the way the kingdom works, where the world works on escalating violence. Um, the kingdom works through forgiveness. And so we are to forgive others as God forgives us. You know, it's this idea of forgiveness is the way that the kingdom works, not there's violence. This, there's this really interesting connection, too, that I've noticed um, with with God and forgiveness specifically is that forgiveness is like this and that's it's all happens all the time in scripture these circular connections right that forgiveness always in order for me to receive it i have to first give it you know to receive something that i want because we all we all probably would say yeah we want somebody to forgive it like we want to be forgiven we want god to forgive us because if he doesn't then like it's bad news you know but in order for me to enter into that pathway of forgiveness and the benefits of forgiveness from god that also has to be uh, extended from my own life. And that's really the sticking point because a lot of us love to receive forgiveness. We don't necessarily love to or naturally give forgiveness. And I think God knows that. I think that's why maybe he puts it in the order that he does here in this little sentence. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, a kingdom um, behavior. It definitely makes up uh, the way that we are to live. It reminds me of the the parable of the prodigal son where uh, the younger brother wastes dad's money and goes, squanders it, and then returns home. And we see, uh, you know, the younger brother just hoping to get, you know, a job as a servant with whatever, you know. And, no, the father runs off the porch, hikes up his uh, robe, embraces him, makes a fool out of himself in front of the entire village, and just lavishes his love on this younger son who has returned home. That's forgiveness. Oh. That's the picture that Jesus shows us. And then he says, hey, forgive others the way that God forgives you. Boom. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's heavy stuff. Forgiveness yeah. should be like the way we breathe. Absolutely. And the challenge, though, is because that flies in the face of how we think about life and how we experience relationship with others. Because our world, I talk about this a lot uh, church, is governed by transaction. And I, what I mean by that is you, we get what we deserve, right? So when I pay for things, I pay for what I pay what they're worth and I receive them. Or if somebody gives me something, I give them back something or if they do something to me, I, and that's kind of where this escalating violence thing comes from is we, we just deal in a transactional world. And God enters in and says, now, nah, fooey with that mess. I'm going to – the economy of the kingdom is not based on transaction. It's based on grace, which is undeserved favor, which means you get what you don't deserve. And that story of the prodigal son, that's the beautiful picture because the forgiveness of the father was directly connected to his unconditional outpouring of love and grace. It didn't matter what that son had done because undeserved favor was how the father lived. And the, the other son couldn't imagine what that was because he was living in a transactional world. He had been the great son, and he had done all the right things. And to him, in his mind, that meant he was worth far more than the other son and deserved far more than the other son did. 
But we have tension with that. I'm, I wonder if you, listener, can um, relate to that reality that we want, on one hand, we want people to get what they deserve, which makes it hard to forgive. On the other hand, we don't want God to give us what we deserve. We want him to forgive us. And those worlds collide often. You know, <laughs> We want one thing from God, but we want to live a whole different other way. There's not really a question in there. I'm being a horrible host, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just kind of, I think that's an interesting concept we should talk about, about a little more because the very thing we want from God is not the thing we're willing to give to other people very often. Yeah, I think we relate to that older brother uh, who is distancing himself from the celebration and the party. He's arms folded, you know what I mean? Not mm. celebrating, not rejoicing in the forgiveness of the younger brother. He has bitterness and grudges and he withholds. I mean, even even the father says, you always have my love. You've always had my love. I've always loved you, you know? And so it's he's experienced that love. Uh, but he refuses to give it. It's just such an interesting thing. And I think we relate to that story. We have experienced the father's love. We've experienced his embrace. But yet to love others the same way that God loves us, it's hard for us. And I think you're right. I think it is a transactional, uh, at least when it comes to the relationship with others. Uh, you've hurt me. You know, I'm, I'm going to hurt you back. It's that, you know, that revenge piece that we talked about with Lamech. It's really hard to funnel that love that God has showed us to other people. Yeah, and that that prodigal son, too, he was, because of the fact that he didn't reciprocate what the father had given him, he he was experiencing a brokenness of a relationship in his, in his own right. You know, he was, he was distanced from, he wasn't at the party, he wasn't experiencing the joy from the father. I don't know what other uh, consequences that had in his life, but the, the immediate consequences were that he wasn't with the father. The father went to the party and was joining with the son and that other, the other son was separated. There was this disconnect happening between him and the father because of his inability to, um, I, for me, I think that's a picture of like discipleship or transformation. It's one thing to encounter God's love, but if it's not playing out in our lives, there's still brokenness present in the way we see others and see the world. If God's love isn't extending through us, then there's something that God still needs to work on inside of us. And I, I personally think that's why this prayer, this part of the prayer is so important because it kind of, it reforms us. Like you often say, this prayer does. If I pray it consistently, I'm, I come to this place and say, uh, forgive us our sin. And it begins with me first. I'm connected with the reality that God forgives me as we forgive those who have trespassed or sinned against us. And it yeah. connects me with what God has done and how it should play out in my life. So what, John, what does unforgiveness do to us? Like when we choose not to forgive, when we choose to hold on to a grudge, what is, what is the result of unforgiveness towards other people? Well, in my own life, it, it manifests in bitterness and anger. I know I, I can't, I live in a place where I can't let go of what they did to me. You know, it's almost like the, the thing that was done to me continues to be done. I continue to live in the affliction of the pain that was afflicted into my life and falsely believe that they're continuing to do that afflicting. Does that make sense? They, mm -hmm. they did something to me in a moment, but as I relive that because I can't let it go and I can't forgive, it, it's, you know, I think it's them 
over and over and over and over again when in reality it's it's me reliving in and living in that yeah because they've they've moved on they're not thinking about you at all right Right. and whether they should or they and obviously absolutely they should in their own journey with god they should want to restore relationship and right wrongs but too often we think that's our our part of the of that equation is to fix or to make someone make right what they've done to us and forgiveness i don't think is about that do you paul you know, like if you did something bad to me and me forgiving you, I don't think that removes you from being culpable of what you did to me. No, no, not at all. And I think we no. do. I think we attach those things. We think if I forgive someone, I'm saying what they did to me wasn't wrong or that it's just over and done with and didn't do anything to me. That reminds me of that story of Corey Ten Boom. You remember her? Mm-hmm. She was the Dutch watchmaker, and uh, her and her family helped um, thousands of Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. And she was imprisoned, and she ended up running into a guard at one of her speaking engagements, and uh, he asked for forgiveness. And it all came right then to this point: Would she actually do what she said she would do? You know. And uh, she did. And she has this amazing quote. It says, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is the power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. You know, maybe you've maybe you've heard the seen the meme on Facebook. It says to forgive is to set the prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. Yeah. And that's the truth of the unforgiveness and bitterness. It's it basically locks you in a cage. You're chained to this this grudge, this thirst for revenge. It's it's kind of killing you from the inside out. And I think that's why it's so important that we disconnect this idea that when I forgive someone it doesn't mean that um it's not tr- transactional in the sense that I'm letting them off the hook for the pain that they caused me in in life, or or some. I guess that's the wrong way of saying it. It's that it's not that I'm I'm saying what they did wasn't wrong. Well, in Corey Tin Boom, she's not saying that the the guard who was involved in in right. the Holocaust wasn't responsible. She right. was just letting go of the desire for revenge to hold yeah. it against him, the judgment part of it. Um, you know, God is the ultimate judge. God's the one who sorts those things out. We don't have to be the judge. We don't have to announce guilt. We can let God do that. Yeah. Um, so it's really kind of like, um, you know, uh, uh, coming out of the prison door, you know. Uh, Jesus opens the door for us. we got to come out. we got to let people go, you know. And I, I, do you, I think this maybe too reveals the main motivation of God's heart which is restoration, you know, restoration of relationship between us and him and restoration of relationship between us and others, you know, and forgiveness uh, brings us to a place where we can be set free as people, but also where we can set aside, you know, our desire and need for retribution and revenge and to reconnect potentially with people that, you know, have been in relationship in our lives that we said until you make this right or it can never be made right you know it it moves us in a place where we can have restoration of relationship where maybe we thought it was impossible before um, 
Yeah. Is that what Jesus or Paul had in mind when he said the ministry of reconciliation? I, I, I don't know. I think that there's this idea that the kingdom is uh, often metaphor of a table is used, right? So it's a group of people eating a meal together. It's uh, it's Jesus and Judas sharing the last, you know, it's, it's this reminder that uh, the people that we are struggle with are also invited to the table of the kingdom. Uh, and so as we live out this kingdom life of forgiveness, we are, uh, you know, coming to the table, um, knowing that we are just as guilty as our enemy in the eyes of God, but yet grace is what draws us, uh, to share, uh, because God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, you know, so we, we get to be reconciled and restored and we have a part to play in that. And isn't that a, a powerful image of what the kingdom looks like? And it, the people at that table, like you said, are not those who deserve it. And that's the reality, too, that we have to come back to. And I think why we pray the beginning of that little sentence first is until I have experienced forgiveness from God in my own life, I, I don't know if I'm equipped to be able to offer forgiveness. You think that's true? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that it, it, there is something that that sets us free first, that enables us to forgive others uh, and to be reconciled to one to another. Uh, and so I think the experiencing the embrace of the Father who runs off the porch to us uh, is what gives us the ability to to do that um, also to others. So, yeah, when I experience grace extended to me. Boy, it just does something to my heart. You know, it it, it makes me more um, available to offer it to others because I've I've experienced it. You know, it's been I felt what it feels like to have someone who has every right to judge my life and give me everything I deserve, and didn't. Yeah. You know, and may, and that that act of mercy upon someone's uh, someone's life, that act of grace. I truly believe it's transformational, and it is the thing that equips us to be able to author, uh, you know, offer forgiveness. It's not something we just kind of magically snap our fingers and say, "I'm going to be a forgiving person." Well, maybe sometimes, but until you've, until you've truly st- stared into the face of God and seen Him look back at you, and have been aware of your own unworthiness, and that God chooses you even still, I think it's a very difficult thing for us to truly live out the second part of that. Um, and offering forgiveness. And maybe that's the challenge this week with this little part of this conversation is we need to enter into um, confession and those moments that put us into contact. When we say, God, forgive us our sin, it just continually daily, as this prayer invites us to, puts us face to face with our need for forgiveness. And it's not a one and done thing. Yeah, Jesus forgives all and sets us free from our sin, but it's, it's meant to be something where I come back to him daily and say, God, I, re- I remember, I recall that I'm broken and I need your grace. And that <laughs> sends me into a new life. You know? And we've been talking uh, about this forgiveness from a personal standpoint today, but the prayer says forgive us in this mm. plural idea. And so we're not alone in our need for forgiveness, nor are we in, alone in our need to forgive one another. I mean, we're all in this together. And so this is a corporate idea, you know, the, the kingdom life is a forgiveness life, right? And so we um, form community, the family of God around the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of one another. 
but also the kingdom expands, the church expands as we extend that forgiveness beyond. So while, yeah, it's a very important personal practice to forgive, but it's also a corporate practice and it's a, it's what expands the kingdom. It's what breaks the cycle of violence and revenge. Um, it's like be fruitful and multiply. The kingdom is growing when we forgive. That's something I, you know, I need more of. Uh, you know, as a pastor of a church and growing up in the church, I I didn't experience much communal confession or communal uh, seeking of forgiveness. It, I, you know, in our modern world, and uh, evangelicalism really has honed in on this personal aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. But it's such a great reminder, Paul. Thank you for sharing that. This invitation for us as the body of Christ, as Christ followers, to confess how we have not lived the way of Jesus, to seek his forgiveness in that. And the people that we've harmed and the people we've wronged, and to then be formed and transformed into the true image of Christ, the true body of Christ that then extends into the world is a, a powerful, you know, a powerful invitation of God. And I don't know what that means. I think it's up to, you know, it's good for me as a pastor to be hearing that challenge because I think we need more pastors that lead churches into this communal confession. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, when we take communion, that's what's going on. You know, we often make it personal again, but it really is a it's a corporate confession. Um, And it is an opportunity to practice forgiveness uh, as we take the meal. Um, And so I think that that's, you know, an important part of worship. Uh, You know, we have the passing of the peace, which is an ancient practice of worship where you you greet one another. Peace of God be with you. Peace of Christ be with you. And, and, you know, that idea of forgiveness is at the heart of what the church is to be. And so while American evangelicalism talks quite a bit about personal forgiveness, uh, the Bible also talks quite a bit about uh, corporate and communal forgiveness. And this prayer is so loaded with, with missional movement. Every part of this prayer is about the individual connecting to the worldwide communal mission of God. And this, this is true with this as well, you know, that we receive forgiveness of the church to then extend the realities of the kingdom of God that we just prayed about a few sentences ago. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this, this manifestation of the kingdom of heaven right in our midst that happens through us and through the activities of our lives, such a powerful reminder that it's not just about God forgiving me, but he forgives me, changes me, transforms me, and the rest of the Jesus followers on the world so that the rest of the world might experience the realities of the kingdom of God, which in this case is forgiveness and grace, right? Okay. So the people other, in the world that need forgiveness they're going to experience it through God working in and through me and the rest of the church. It's missional. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Amen, man. Yeah. Man, it's been good. We've like it's always good. nailed this one. And we're going to move on. It's been another exciting episode of The Bible Says What. And I'm Pastor John Gibson. And I'm Pastor Paul Desay. We have really enjoyed talking with you. Next week, we're going to cover another line of this uh, prayer. Yeah. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver, and deliver us, us from evil. From evil. That's an interesting one. Loaded with theological pitfalls. I would say, in my estimation, 
uh, that that might be one of the scariest parts of this prayer. <laughs> you know, theologically, it's the, it's, it's the hardest part. Yeah, for does, sure. Does God lead me into temptation? What does that mean? Uh, it's interesting. A little sneak preview, but is is that word temptation even the best translation of the word in that? scenario. I, I, I've learned some interesting things about this line that I'm excited to share with you, Pastor Paul, and see if they're complete uh, baloney or if I've been preaching right for all these years. You are going <laughs> to drop some truth bombs on us next week, We right? shall see, but you'll have to come back and listen to find That's out right. uh, on The Bible Says What. I'm Pastor John Gibson. I'm Pastor Paul Desay. We already said that. That's the second time. God bless you. Check us out next time. Grace and peace. The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What it says? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say?